0: I'm pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for us to drive to work. Okay. So today, um, I'm going to answer the question, why don't we do something? So one of the things that happens a lot um, on my blog is people come up with ideas for themes they want. Um, And sometimes, you know, I I go, oh, that's great, or it's on the short list, or, you know. um, But sometimes I say, you know what? I don't think we're going to do that theme, Uh, and people usually don't respond well to that. Um, For example, the the most recent one is uh, in March of the Machine, Moraganda pops up again. Uh, And so Moraganda is a prehistoric world we first showed off in Future Sight, and one of the cards in Future Sight that first showed it off uh, was a Vanilla Matters card. So because there's just not that many things in Moraganda, some people connect Vanilla Matters to Moraganda. Uh, and so people are like, oh, we got to do a Vanilla Matters theme. And I'm like, well, no, no we don't. It, it's not going to be a good theme. Um, and normally what happens is that people come out of the woodwork to explain how to make it work. And, they, you know, oh, you can use more for, you can use token creatures or what, whatever. Um, so I want to talk a little bit today about when I say no... When I say why I, I don't think we'll do something, I want to talk about why, why do I say no? Why, um, and the answer is that part of my job is to explore possibilities. Um, in fact, we have a whole thing called exploratory design, and the whole point of exploratory design is to just explore ideas. If to just go, oh, what if, what if we did thing X? Um, Now, the way exploratory design works is, (coughs) I like to say we go wide, not deep. And what that means is, we just sort of look at ideas and really explore what it means. So, for example, uh, I'll just use Strixhaven as my example. Okay, we want to do a set that's about instants and sorceries. Well, what does that mean? And what exploratory has to say is, what are the challenges? If we wanted to do that, what are the challenges? Um, And normally when you want to do something... Um, either it's doable or there's something about it that is fighting against some basic way we do magic. Um, one of the things about making a game for 30 years is it's an iterative process that, like, we have a lot of shorthands and ways we do things. And so part of anything is understanding how it interacts with the system. What are we asking that is different? So, for example, with a Sorcery Instant matter set, um, the core problem, for example, was what we call an as-fan problem. And that is, in order to make something matter enough, you need it to show up enough that it can, it can matter, right? If I want thing X to matter, thing X has to show up on enough cards. Um, in limited, we have this problem where, um, when you play limited, you tend to play about 16 creatures, seven spells, and then the rest land. If seven of something is not enough for the correct as-fan, um, which in the case for spells was, was true, um, you now run the problem of, okay, well, even if every single spell slot is an instant or sorcery, I don't have enough instant in sorcery to make it matter enough. Um, and what that means is we have to then solve the problem of how do I take things that would go into my creature pile that satisfy you know, the needs for creatures but also gets me spells? Um, and we had to find a lot of solutions in Shrixhaven. We, making token creatures are instances of sorceries, but the token creature acts like a creature. Um, we had lesson learned where you could have, you know, creatures that could also fetch you spells, so that even though it's a creature in your deck and functions as a creature, it also produces a spell or gets you a spell. Um, so anyway, part of exploratory design is us sort of having to walk through what that means. Um, So I did an entire podcast on Vanilla Matters, for example. Um, The biggest problem with Vanilla Matters, sort of the crux of Vanilla Matters, is um, the nature of something being vanilla means there's no text on it. Uh, And trying to make the thing you care about being thing that doesn't have text on it just causes issues. Um, So let's get into the uh, number one reason why um, we might not want to do something. So the number one reason is it flies in the face of our tools meaning that in order to do it we have to not make use of a tool that's or or multiple tools that's important to us Uh, so for example with vanilla matters is one of the things that you need to do is creature carts have to carry a certain amount of weight that there's a certain amount of balance in what you're doing that you want to be living on the creatures so when you say well you know, most of your creatures can't have text on it, it really, you're you're losing a tool. Uh, Another example might be uh, people ask from time to time, hey, what if you did a set where a color was missing or, you know, um, the colors are equally weighted? Well, we didn't do that back in Torment. Uh, So Torment was a set in which there was more black cards than there were green or white cards. Or, I'm sorry, there were more black cards than anything. And uh, and then there were less white and green. So more black than normal, less white and green than normal. And then the next set, there was more white and green than normal, less black than normal. So between the two sets, so Torment and Judgment, um, there was an equal amount of all the colors, but it was weighted differently. Um, And what we found when we try to do that set is there's a lot of problems that pop up. Like, there's a lot of tools we need to balance. And so when you purposely throw things out of balance, it just causes a lot of issues. So number one is that it's going to cause some problem on the creation side. Now, that doesn't mean we don't try to overcome things. Um, You know, there are definitely challenges of how do we do that. Uh, War of the Spark was a good example where um, we had a war with Planeswalkers. You know, all the Planeswalkers. But, you know, there's only so many Planeswalker cards we normally put in a set. Well, you know, could we overcome that? What if we made 36 Planeswalkers? You know, and we had to figure out... What does that mean? What does it mean to put way, you know, you know, 12 times as many planeswalkers in a set than normal? You know, how does that impact? And it's not just a matter of impacting the set that it's in. It's impacting the environment, impact standard. You know, there's a lot of ramifications. And so when we look at something, we have to understand that. And one of the things we have to understand is the idea that we can do anything, the idea that you know, no challenge is too much of a challenge, is false. That part of what you find from making magic sets is that there is a certain amount of limits that you should push, and then at some point you start getting into trouble. Um, And so the first thing is, the reason you get into trouble is, it makes it hard to make the set. In fact, one of our rules now is we are only allowed to have what we we call one sort of troublesome mechanic, meaning only one mechanic that is... Fundamentally changing the essence of something—that that's going to be a lot of work. Does require how to do it, you know. Something like energy requires creating an entire, um, an entire uh, economy. Something like mutate has to make us sort of—you know—it's a very complex mechanic. Um, companions had a similar. In fact, the rule came from Ikoria where we made both mutate and companions. In the same set it was too much we overran play design and companions broke because we just didn't have enough time to work on them um so one of the things is when we we turn something down it's a matter of can we make it and what are the pressures we're putting on the people that we need to make it like one of my jobs in vision design is am i making something that set design can make you know have i made blueprints for a house that set design can build um and am i making something that play design can balance Am I making something that digital can program? Am I making something that template, you know, editors can template? That rules can uh, accommodate? You know, there's a lot of things that we're doing that we have to make sure that people down downstream of us are capable of doing. So, number one, the reason we might not do something is I don't think we're setting up people down the down the road to be able to do it. <laughs> um, I, I know there's this idea that anything, you know, any challenge is worth... You know we can crack any challenge and it's not necessarily a matter of can we do it Um, I I do think there are things that fundamentally um, we're not gonna get to the bar like there's a quality bar that we have right we want magic sets to be of a certain quality and so it's possible that a certain challenge we can't meet that Um, so number one is it's it's depriving us of tools Uh, and tools we need our tools to do our job so when you take away tools It is problematic um the one example i'll give for this is uh this this is my go-to of example of a challenge for the sake of a challenge so what if we decided to make a set with no three drops no cards that cost three there's the challenge can we do it and the answer is well it's a huge loss of a tool because three drops are an important part of the game and we want you to be able to do things when you have three mana and so, so, I'll put my explorer design hat on. Okay, what does it mean? What does it mean not to have three drops? Well, it means we have to have more one and two drops, um, because on turn, you know, on turn three, or once you have three mana, if I can't cast a three drop spell, well, then I can cast two drop and one drop spell, so you'd have to up the number of those. Um, you then would also have to create more ways to get to four mana. Um, The challenge there is a lot of the ways to get to four mana come from three mana, meaning we don't do rampant growth at two mana anymore. We don't do uh, mana rocks at two mana anymore. So there's some challenges of figuring out how to get from two to four uh, in a way that doesn't make use of three, which is hard. Um, But I look at that and I'm like, uh, so I'll keep coming back to that. So number one, loss of tools. I don't have three drops. I need three drops. Three drops are an important part. You know, whenever we make a set, we do a curve. We want there to be sort of at every level, something for you to cast. And so depriving us of a curve, of making a gap in something, you know, it, it doesn't have the tools we need. Okay, so number two is a support issue, is sometimes when you're doing something, it's not acting in a vacuum. It is asking for the set, and sometimes the sets around it to do something, right? So when you make something, for example, when we made more Planeswalkers in War of the Spark, that wasn't an ask of just the set it was in. We made sure the sets before it were a little bit lighter on Planeswalkers. Um, And likewise, the sets after, you know, the sets around it went down a little bit. Um, There's certain resources, you know, like we had to think about how to deal with certain things. And so answers for Planeswalkers had to go up a little bit. Like there were things we had to do to work around the environment. So sometimes one of the reasons we might want to do something is that the support required of it might not be something we want to do. Um, Maybe it's something hard to do in sets around it. Maybe it's something that has its own challenges. Maybe it's saying the challenge of this set makes other sets more challenging. Um, We want to kind of be careful to think about, like, what is the impact that it's going to do? Okay. Number three is it's more work than it's worth. And what that means is, sometimes it's not a matter that we can't do it, it's a matter that we don't have enough time to do it. Um, I'll I use War Spark again, so, or not War Spark, I'll use like Corey again. So, I think we could have done mutate and balanced mutate. In fact, we didn't. Uh, I think we actually could have done companions and balanced it had we had enough time. But it's a good example where we had too much to do and not enough time. And the end result was we didn't meet the bar of quality that we expect, right? We don't—the fact that we had a recost companions, you know, the fact that we had to ban companions, um, that was not ideal. And so part of that was we just didn't have enough time. So sometimes when we talk about not doing something, it's like we, we do it. we do a cost analysis and like, okay. And a real common thing that happens is— Um, the set design team will come to the vision design team and says, we can't do both these things. We can do one. This happened in uh, Kaladesh. Um, Originally in Kaladesh, we had not just energy, but we also had kind of a precursor to lesson learned. Um, They were called invention. So rather than getting uh, instants and sorceries, you got artifacts, but similar process. And basically what they said is, these are both very intricate mechanics that will require a lot of work. We can do one of them. We can't do both of them. So we chose to do energy and chose not to do, and as was, energy had some issues, right? And, th- and that's without having to do the second thing that was challenging. So another reason sometimes we don't do something is it's just not worth the work. It's more work than it is worth. Um, and I know there's this uh, glorified idea that we can do anything, you know, and that part of the challenge of making magic sets is, is solving any problem. and what we've learned over time is that we've done stuff in the past that we like, wow, was that worth it? So we get to number four now, um, what I'll call not a selling feature. And what that means is, for example, there's a period of time where we did what we call gimmick sets. All the sets are creatures. All the sets are gold cards. Uh, you know, there's more black in the set. You know, we did things in which there was a very loud sort of feature of the set that was like just g- gimmicky, right? Um, and what we found was they were really hard to do. Really, really hard. To, especially all the gold. Um, and we did it because we were trying to do it. But in the end, like, I look at the lower which is the all gold set. And, like, how, how, how did the all gold feature go over? Not amazing. You know, it, it didn't make people want to buy the set. The, the, I will say the all creature uh, was probably our best gimmick. that went over the best. Um, that set actually was the best-selling small set for a little while. And so there was something exciting about it. Ooh, I, I look at all the creatures I get. Um, but the gold thing didn't, wasn't as quite impactful. You know, Had we done a set that was three-quarters gold, I think it would have been just as exciting to people and been a lot easier to do. Um, but w- we've learned time and time again that like, sometimes we do something, it's a lot of work, and then we test with the audience to say hey, how excited were you for this feature? And a lot of times they're like, eh, not that excited. So players in general bending over backwards to do a larger theme usually does not have the impact that we need. So sometimes it's the issue of, okay, we could do it. It's a lot of work. Will players care? Is it something that will, might, will excite players? Uh, and what we learned over time doing a lot of market research is players are much more... um, How does this card go in their deck? Right? They want to see cards and themes that they want to play. And that more esoteric things is not the thing that tends to sell them on the set. Um, I, I think the really enfranchised players that are sort of... have seen infinite magic sets are, you know, are bored with the normal stuff and they get more excited by it. But that really isn't a general selling point. Okay. Uh, Number five, um, sometimes doing something makes an imbalance in a way that isn't, that isn't fun for the audience. Um, So my example here is in Torment. So Torment had more black cards than anything else. So the idea essentially is that I was supposed to go, oh, maybe I want to play more black because there was more black, Um, but it just made it impossible to balance. It just made it something, you know, one of the things about having um, the color balance built into the set is um, we have a lot of tools where we can measure colors against each other. And so one of the ways to understand if the set is doing well is looking at how adjusted the colors are against each other. But when one of the colors by definition is imbalanced, it becomes a lot harder to do that. Um, And that's another thing that we've become very key on is what imbalances are we making in the system? It's not that we can't ever have imbalances. It's not that certain things can't be better than others. Uh, that's the nature of leaning towards certain themes. But we want to be careful how much and uh, we push in that. Okay, the next problem we run into is confusion for the audience. Um, so for this one, I'm going to use a set called Rise of the Eldrazi. So, uh, in this set, the idea was the Odrazi are these giant, strange alien creatures. Um, So we made something we called Battle Cruiser Magic, and the idea in it was that we did everything we could to make you get to the state where you're playing giant creatures. So much so that you were kind of punished for just trying to play normal magic. Um, Now the interesting thing is that set, for the enfranchised drafters, was very popular because it was different. It was really weird. Don't play two drops, you know. And so for the enfranchised drafters that sort of could figure out what was going on, it was really interesting for them. But for everybody else, for the people that are like, well, I'm just going to play Magic and I'm just going to use whatever general knowledge I have to play, just had really bad experiences because there were just general things that normally worked that did not work. That There were what we call traps. Um, And... Rise of the Eldrazi as a whole did not sell well. It was not a set. Um, I, ironically, it went on to be, uh, with enfranchised drafter this idea of this awesome set. Um, but for most drafters, it wasn't. It was that for really enfranchised drafters. And that one of the interesting lessons of Rise of the Eldrazi is we have to make sure that whatever we're making, that the average Magic player can enjoy it. That if we stretch things too much to the point in which, if you don't understand what's going on, um, you have a bad experience. So, for example, let's go back to the no three drops, you know. Let's say we make an environment with no three drops, and so we're gumming up with one and two drops, right? We're, uh, and we're giving you tools to get to four drops. If you understand the structure, if you understand load up on one and two drops— And because you're loading up a one, two drops, it's going to be a more aggro environment. So you have to play things that might not be good enough in the normal Magic, but are good enough in a more aggro environment. And you have to understand the tools that we're giving you to be able to jump to four. And even if those tools look weak, they're not weak because it's the means to get to four. So what ends up happening in that kind of environment is the players that are adapting to it, the players that understand all the weird things that are going on, they're going to shine in that environment and do really well. But the average player is going to get really lost because the things that kind of normally work for them just aren't going to work. Um, and so it creates confusion for the audience. And now, some of, like, once again, this is a matter of limits. We want magic sets to be different. We want you to go, oh, I have to think about how this is different than normal. So it's not that we don't want some of that. But what we've learned is We can only push so far. We can only make magic so different. Um, And one of the things that I I often try to explain is magic systems allow me a lot of flexibility. Meaning, I can make magic cards that are 100% magic cards using magic card rules, but the end results of what you're playing doesn't remotely feel like magic. And that is not just the responsibility of us. Um, You know, I mean, we... We need to keep our magic sets feeling like magic sets. There needs to be a certain amount of I get what's going on and it's magic as I understand it. And that we can push things and that part of the fun of any one set is, okay, we're going to make you care about things you don't normally care about, but there's a boundary. And that if we push too far past that boundary, then we make something that is very confusing for some portion of the audience and makes it less fun. Okay, which gets into the next one. Um, is what we're making fundamentally a fun experience? Uh, this is one of the ones that we run into with the vanilla matters, which is okay. Let's say I let's say we, we we take all the risks that come along with vanilla matters. Okay, we got to put more vanilla things and mechanics that can function as vanilla, and we other things that remove whatever whatever we have to do to make vanilla matters. Okay, here's the one of the biggest strikes against vanilla matters is okay. So I'm playing these cards that generate vanilla creatures. Now let's say I don't draw the cards that care. You know, like one of the things is in any sort of system, there's an A, B thing where A is the thing you care about uh, and then B is the thing that enhances that thing, right? I care about um, artifact creatures. Well, I need the artifact creatures and I need the things that care about artifact creatures. some of that overlaps a little bit, but in vanilla matters, it can't overlap at all. Right? Normally, for example, I can make an artifact creature that cares about artifacts. But I can't make a vanilla creature that cares about vanilla creatures. So by, by definition, it's first split. The a, it's it's a total A-B split. Then the problem you run into is that if I don't draw the things that care, if I, I just draw all the A cards and not the B cards, I have a very mundane experience. I'm playing vanilla magic, you know? and. That is one of the core problems is can we make it in a way that is fundamentally fun where you're having fun no matter what combination of things you draw? And it is hard. It is a challenge. Um, and, and that's, like I said, that is like when I look at something like Vanilla Matters, I, I'm like we lose tools. It um, might be confusing for the audience. It's not particularly fun gameplay. It's a lot of extra work. It requires support. Um, you know, so it, it is, there's a lot of things there that when I look at it, I go, wow, is that, is that worth it? Um, so the one last thing, that, uh, that's, I, I, uh, the final thing is, uh, is it bad for the game? Um, uh, my example there is Planar Chaos, where we decided to play around with the, with the color pie. Uh, and the idea is it was, uh, we, the Time Spiral block was past, present, and future, Uh, And the present was its alternate reality present... Because it's hard making present matter... Since every set is the present, I guess. Um, And so in the alternate reality... We sort of redid the color pie. Now, nothing was supposed... I mean, the the idea at the time was... Not to break anything. We we did a few breaks in retrospect. But um, the problem, though, is it really... It did a disservice to the game. It made people believe things that um, aren't true... It put things in colors that to this day, because because eternal formats are popular, you know, people play Harmonize today, and green isn't supposed to do that, but it does, because we made this one set. And, um, you know, sometimes people want something, and, and the last reason that we shouldn't do it is it's just bad for the game, that it is undermining something that's important for the game, and uh, Planner Chaos would, like... A lot of today's lessons, you know, talking about Torment, talking about Alara Reborn, talking about Rise of the Odrazi, um, talking about Planar Chaos. Like, we tried something, we did something, and um, we sort of learned, like, oh, we probably shouldn't have done that. You know, there's a lot of things that we have done over the years that I look back and we learn lessons from. Um, so my, my final thought today uh, is really... The reason that we don't do everything, the reason that people say, hey, do thing X, and I'm like, I don't think that's a good idea, is because we've made so much set, because we've iterated, because I've done so many exploratory designs, it's not as if I haven't tried to figure out, hey, how do we make Vanilla Matter works? It's not like I haven't spent time and energy on that. I have. Um, you know, I, I've, I've actually, you know, no three drops. I, I've spent time thinking about no three drops. Um... And it's a perfect example of a restriction for the sake of a restriction. Like, it's not a selling point. It's not like people are like, ooh, let, give me that set without the three drops. Like, no one's... It's not exciting anybody. It is sort of a challenge for the sake of a challenge. Um, and so you really have to figure out when you get something, what am I getting out of it? Now, something like instant and sorceries matter, um, I understand, like, okay, that's a compelling theme, that's exciting... You know, if you told me that was the theme for a set, I go, ooh, tell me more. You know, like, it is a compelling theme. Now, um, uh, sometimes people say, oh, here's what I want. Make a set of nothing but instants and sorceries. Um, Now, A, we sort of are off gimmick sets. But B, um, there's some huge problems in trying to pull that off. The biggest thing is um, creatures are an important tool of the game, and you really start to, you know, if, if you have no creatures, it's problematic. You can make token creatures, although um, token creatures are limited how much text we put on them. So even if we were aggressive with our token making, there's just only so much complexity we can get in creatures. Um, and that's just an example of, okay, we did the experiment. How would we do it? What are the tools we need available? And then does that create something that is compelling and fun and, you know... That wouldn't confuse players. And the end result is, eh. I I don't think that ends up with something that would be there. It doesn't cross the bar. Um, And that is sort of the the lesson of today's podcast, is um, an important lesson. It took me a little while to get to this one, which is, yes, magic is a hungry monster. Yes, there are a lot of things we will do. But just because there's lots of things we will do doesn't mean everything should be done. There are things we shouldn't do in Magic. There are things that aren't good for Magic. Um, and I know when I tell players that, you know, when I say, oh, let's do Thing X, they' go, eh, I don't think we should do Thing X. Um, there is this challenge just trying to prove that we could do it. Um, but as I, this was one of my GDC uh, lessons. Um, I really have learned that, like, the reason to do something is because it's going to make an awesome game, right? The reason I should design something is because it's going to lead to something that will be fun for the players to play. I should not design things just to prove that I can do something. It is a horrible reason to, to do design. Um, I know there's ego involved and I know there's, you know, like, oh, am I up to the challenge? But what I've learned is every magic sense a challenge. Design is a challenge. There's no such thing as me not having challenges in design. I will always have challenges. But the key is to find the challenges that are worth the work that are worth the energy, that are worth the, the cost that they come to them, and that figure out when you get a challenge, is that challenge worth doing? And the big lesson of today is not every challenge is worth doing. Now, sometimes there's a challenge I don't think it's worth doing, and then we get new technology down the road. There's a new way to do something, or to print something, or there's some new mechanics that we came up with that makes me rethink things. So from time to time we'll go back You know, maybe, maybe there's some amazing mechanic out there that just solves the vanilla matters thing in a way that go, oh, maybe we could do it. Um, So that's not to say that just because we can't do something, we can't forever do it. Um, But it does mean that there are challenges that at least at the moment in time are not worth pursuing. Um, And that is why when people ask, do thing X, and I go, ah, I don't think we should do thing X, why I say that. Um, That... Part of being a good designer is knowing where to put your energies, is knowing where there is payoff, where there is reward. And to go down paths where you will waste a lot of energy or other people's energy or break tools or systems or balance or make something that's confusing or not marketable or unfun, there are paths in which you end up with something that is not good magic. And our job is to make good magic. So when I find things that I don't think will make good magic, our job is to pass on it. So anyway, guys, that is my podcast today, answering why we don't do things. Uh, but anyway, I'm now at work, so we all know what this means. Instead of dry, uh, talking magic, it's time for me to make magic. So hope you guys enjoyed today's podcast, and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.